You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, it's, uh, it's kind of a tender day, and um, there's uh, we're, we're doing a few different things today. Um, but I wanted to, uh, first of all, I wanted to just um, celebrate with a really special person in our church. Um, if, if you don't know Julie Clark, I think you know Julie Clark. She's one of our worship leaders, but she, she just released her vinyl this week. And come on, if, if you don't have this, go to her website and buy it. Um, and, and this is how I feel about album artwork. Like album art is, it needs to make a comeback. And so even if you don't have a record player, you should buy this and just hang it on your wall somewhere. Because I don't know, this might have won the award for best album cover of the year, at least in, in, at my award show, Julie. So so um, is it is it juliesuzanneclark.com? juliesuzanneclark.com. So, and, and so, yes, congratulations, Julie. We, we love it. And... Um, um, and, and then this is along the line of the, the tenderness side of things. I, I did feel today that we wanted to or needed to pray for the city of Buffalo this morning and, um, and especially just for the black community there and it just at large. Um, I was struck by the song that we did this morning. Um, the final song that we did, it's, it's called the Trinity song. And, um, you know, the words in the course are Holy Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Communion, three in one. And one of the important aspects about the Trinity is that there's a, there's a oneness. There's a love that's like circling in that Trinity. And it's, it's powerful. And it's really, it's really, it's a model and it's a way of being with other human beings. And, um, you know, that was a murderous, racist act that happened. And first of all, I want to repent about it today as a church. I want us to repent. And then I want to pray for healing to come into that community. You know, you don't have to necessarily um, commit an act of violence in order to repent of an act of violence you know, there's something about the Christian life where we stand in solidarity with other people. And, um, you know, I, I know I'm at a loss for words right now, but could we, could we just pray for the city of Buffalo together right now? You don't even have to stand. Just stay seated. And um, Lord Jesus, we, we, first of all, we want to say we're so sorry we're so sorry to you, Lord, for this, this act of violence that is just heinous. And Lord, we, we ask you for your mercy. We ask you for the, your mercy on this community that was affected in the worst way, in the very worst way. And from a distance, I, I've never even been to the city of Buffalo, but from a distance, Lord, we want to ask you for your heart of healing to engulf and envelop that city and specifically the black community of that city. 
Lord, we ask you to cover those families right now in this darkest hour that they're walking in. We ask you to heal in a way only that you can do. And, and Lord, we repent. We repent of the racism that is running rampant in this country. Doing things like this, Lord, we repent and we say we're sorry. And we ask, we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we ask you to come and heal our land. We ask you to come and heal our land. And, and if that means, Lord, that we need to learn how to walk more humbly through this country, Lord, we ask that you would teach us how to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, I'm going to ask Brett and Annie Balsley to come up. The first, we're, we're going to have two short messages this, this morning. Uh, Brett and Annie are going to come up. Let's give these guys a hand. Um, there, there's a method to our madness. We, we actually, over the past year, we've, we've really felt like the Lord was leading us uh, to engage more with outreach and missions. And um, the Lord has actually been bringing people who are a part of us into our church, uh, who have a heart for Jesus and uh, for reaching people for Jesus. So um, these two haven't, I mean, if you haven't, to know Brett and Annie is to love them. If you haven't met them yet, make sure you get to know them because they're incredible people. And um, here you guys go. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So we're Brett and Annie, and we are super excited to share this morning we were missionaries in Mexico. I was there two years before Brett and I got married. And then we went back two years together. And that ministry that we went through is called GEM, which stands for Global Education Ministries. And their heart is to open um, private schools that are open to the public. So they're made affordable through a sponsorship program. Um, people pay for about 75% of students' tuition. And then they pay for 25%, which is the normal amount that a family would pay anyways in Mexico for school, at public schools. The school system in Mexico is pretty corrupt. And so, um, yeah, to be able to offer this to poor, lower-income families is huge, and it's totally transformed lives. They have, Gem has a school in a town. Their first school is in Puerto Escondido, and that is where I taught for two years before Brett and I got married, um, but now they have schools all over the world, so it's incredible. Um, so we just wanted to give a little background on us. We became friends in 2013. I was at a Bible school in Florida, and we just both had this passion for mission, so we were just friends. He was in high school, so I was just like, Brett's so cool, but I would never date him. <laughs> he was cute, but like he was a senior in high school and I was two years out of high school. So I was like, no, um, but we both had this shared passion for missions and we were like getting so stoked talking to each other and we'd be like just pumping each other up and we were so ready. And so the following year, Brett was at the Bible school that was up in New York and I was living here in Charlotte. And God called me to go to Mexico, but we also reconnected and we started dating. And so basically the weekend that we started dating, I signed a two-year contract to move to Mexico. And so Brett was just kind of, he was like, cool, like, we'll do it. We'll do long distance, see what happens. So we were long distance. I was out there in Puerto Escondido teaching at Monantiel, the school, the first school that Jem started. Um, and they're Christian schools. I don't know if I said that, but it's kind of implied. 
but anyways. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Brett came to visit me both years because he was at school, so he would come for his spring break. And we made this big grand plan with Casey, the director. We were like, Brett was going to move to Mexico the next year, learn Spanish, and then we were going to go to the unreached. Because in the state of Oaxaca, where we were, it's one of the poorest countries in Mexico, and they have a ton of indigenous unreached groups in the mountains. And I was on the coast, so... We were super stoked. We were like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is what the Lord prepared us for. And that the doors closed on that. It didn't work out. But we ended up, I finished my two years in Puerto, and then we got married and lived in Ohio for a year. Because um, he was, I know that's like so random. <laughs> but he was in college. He had to finish his degree. And so he finished his degree. And during that year, I went down to Mexico to visit my sister who's down there. And Casey met with me and he's like, Annie, it's happening. We're starting a school in this town called Huquila. And I'm like crying. I'm like, oh my word, this is it. And I came home to Brett and Brett and I prayed about it. And the next morning we were like, yeah, let's do it. But then we had like a few weeks of discerning, but we really felt like the Lord was leading us and um, that this was his, I don't know, the timing just felt so right. Whereas before the doors had been closed. And so, yeah, Brett's going to give you a little background on Hukila. Yeah, so uh, side note, in regard to her not being interested in me, I mean, it's all about timing and patience, so just just wait it out, let God handle the details there. Um, but two things you need to know about Mexico. Number one, the best food on the planet. Number two is that 80% of Mexico, the people, the population there identify as Catholic, and that that's a deeply rooted thing in the culture there at Mexico. In the 1500s, when Spain invaded, they had a different form of evangelism. Thankfully, we evangelize a little bit different nowadays. But their form was to come in and conquer these indigenous lands. And they would bring their religion in. And they wouldn't teach them necessarily the Bible. But they, these, these indigenous people had their own religions already. They had their gods and their idols and the, the Catholic conquerors would come in and they'd just kind of like replace their gods with saints or images of the different characters, the different people in the Bible. And so if you go to Mexico now, it's still deeply rooted. It's, you know, they have their independence now, but the Catholic religion is still heavy. This, this kind of mixed Catholicism with the pagan religion of the day there. And so you walk around and you'll go around a corner and you'll see a little shrine to the Virgin Mary or you'll see a saint here, this and that. Um, and so it's deeply rooted. And our town, this is a scary picture, but our town is called Huquila, Santa Catarina Huquila. And in this town, it is built around a temple that has this virgin, well, the virgin that was there in the temple and she is worshiped and you can see her skin is a little dark because the story goes that one day there was this great fire in the town and she survived that fire but it left her brown so that she could identify with the with the Mexican people there and so that's kind of the story and so this town is very small it's a mountain town but pilgrims come from all over Mexico to this town in order to ask this virgin for things to give her money in order that they may gain kids or a house or more money or a better life or healing and 
it, the interesting thing is the form in which they go matters. So like the harder it was for them to get there, the more favor they'll get. And so people will come in trucks and, you know, going in a truck or a van, like that's not a big deal. Some people will take bikes. Other people will walk. And some will get there and they will go from one spot and they will crawl all the way into the town square, like miles into the sink, into the temple in order to, to offer their gifts to her. And so it's extremely dark. One time Annie and I were in the town square and we were just talking with someone and behind us we see this guy crawling in agony and there's people rolling a mat in front of him. Um, trying to like guide him into the temple. And so this is what we were entering into, just a spiritually dark um, town and situation. And there's, there's a story in the Bible that I just wanted to reference briefly in Acts 19. It, it was very similar to kind of what was going on in this town. Um, in, this ta- in Acts 19, Paul is in the town of Ephesus and he's starting to preach the gospel. But the people of Ephesus are getting really upset because... They make their money off of building these silver shrines to the goddess Artemis that was renowned in that region. And so people were getting upset because the gospel was changing the situation in the town and people were losing money. And so like the town we lived in, their whole economy was based off of these pilgrims coming, people giving money and offering up and selling these idols. Um, And so this was kind of the dark situation that we were heading into. So... I'm going to pass it over to Annie. You can go to the next slide since she's kind of freaky. Um, This is the town where we lived in the mountains. Um, And so, like Brett said, there was this real spiritual darkness. And um, so the secretary of Manantiel, the school in Puerto, she is called Yanel. And her dad was a missionary to Huquila 40 years ago. And he was, it was crazy. Like, he has these crazy stories of being, like, stoned out of town, and God protected him. And, um, but, yeah, so he sowed those first seeds, but never saw fruit. It was, it was super dark. And so I remember I met with Yanel after I had met with Casey that year. I went to visit my sister, and she's, like, super stoked that God could be calling us there. But she's also, like, any, She's like, I don't know how to say it in English, but Hukila is like, la boca de Satanás. And I was like, the mouth of Satan. And she's like, yeah, like, that's like the, that's how it is. Like, it just, you feel it. And you feel this spiritual darkness and these people are just blind. And um, so, yeah, we, we spent like weeks discerning and praying if it was what the Lord had for us. And then God like provided our support in a really amazing way. And we got a lot of confirmation that God was calling us there. So we moved to Mexico and we had a team of four locals and us. Um, that's Tito and Betty and their sons, Tito and Sam, and then Sitlali and Euclides. They're married too. And Euclides and Betty are brother and sister. So... It was the six of us, and none of us knew what we were doing. None of us had experience running a school. We were literally starting this school from the ground up in a place where Christianity wasn't very accepted. There was one church, but they had to meet on the outskirts of town because um, they their building had been, like, destroyed by people um, persecuting it years before we got there. And so, yeah, the six of us went. These people had a burden for these people like we had never experienced before we remember the first time we prayed with them and they were like on the ground crying out for this town and for these people and that God would deliver them and Brett and I were just so humbled that we got to be a part of it because we're like our hearts weren't even there yet but being in their presence and they're like 
burden. It was just, it was really cool and humbling to work with them. Um, so we got to Hukila. This is in Puerto, this picture. Um, but then we went up to the mountains, moved in. And the day before school, we found this picture of us like spackling the ground. But this, this looks nice. But like there were sections of the school that were just like, it did not, it looked like a construction zone, but we were going to have school there the next day. And it worked out. It, we had school. Um, and every day, like we just prayed and asked God to help us because we were, we just didn't know what we were doing, but God had called us all there. And so that was kind of the thing that unified us. And, um, by the end of the first week, we had 20 students. Those aren't all of them, but those are most of them. And our school is called La Luz, which stands for the light, because that's what we wanted to be to this dark town. And so the year was really cool. Like in those first few months, there were families that pulled their students out once they found out we were a Christian school. Um, but for the most part, like the rumor of our school and like the testimony started to be like, oh, these kids love school or like these kids like want to do their homework. And they started seeing a difference like in how the children in their community that were attending La Luz were different. And so there was one student called Azarel. He was, he's there in that picture, but here he is. <laughs> he's our little man. Azarel was, he like would, he, I think he attended like all the public schools in Hukila, but got kicked out of them because he had severe learning disabilities and no one was ever able to give him like the patience he needed to learn. So he came into our school. He was eight years old, didn't know his alphabet, didn't know how to count, knew nothing, had no attention span to even like try to sit down and learn. But we, because of the school, we were able to spend one-on-one time with him and Eventually, like, we'd be on a walk in town, and he'd, like, run up to us. I remember this one time, he had, like, all these rocks in his hand, and he, like, runs up to us, and he's like, Miss Annie, two rocks in this hand, and four rocks in this hand, and if you add them together, it's six rocks, and, like, he was just so proud of himself, and, like, he knew how to count, and he knew how to add, and he knew how to, like, interact. It was just amazing to watch his life transform, and, um people in the town had watched him like be kicked out of all these it's such a small town so everyone knows everyone's business and then he came to La Luz and he's this different kid and so people would come and ask us and it would give us opportunity to share the gospel and God just started changing lives and people started coming to know Jesus and so yeah by the end by the second year we had about 36 students I think and we looked a lot more legit and (laughs) but it still didn't really feel like school we were just kind of like what are we doing but God just kept showing up and providing students and um really changing lives and so we um had to make the decision we signed a two-year contract and then we were like what are we going to do now do we stay originally we thought like this is for life like this is what we're called to but I think we experienced burnout really fast just because we were kind of the guinea pigs of Jen. They had always sent missionaries to Puerto, which is a huge international hub for their surfing. But Hukilo was like in the middle of nowhere. We were the only Americans who had ever lived in this town. And so we were faced with like, do we go home? Do we stay? It was super hard, but eventually we felt like the Lord was calling us home. And it was tough because we're like, oh my gosh, like this school, like the teachers there, they felt like the school was successful because they had American teachers and that gave the school credibility. And that was kind of their, I remember them like crying to us and they're like, if you leave, like the school's going to fail. And we were just like, oh my gosh, like we don't want that to be like the state of the school, but And so, yeah, we left and it was hard. We faced a lot of like feelings of like, did we fail? Like, did we fail them? Um, 
And like the enemy definitely like attacked us in the last two years since we left. We, we moved to the States, um, like the end of June of 2020. So it was like in the middle of the pandemic and we kind of just like shut our emotions off towards everything. Cause it was just so sad that we left in the middle of the pandemic and we just weren't sure like what was going to happen with the school, but we put it in the Lord's hands. And that first year that we were gone, the school grew exponentially and, People kept bringing their students, and then the next year, they're in their fourth year now, and I got to go back in March, this past March, and it was incredible. Like, it's, it is incredible. It has grown so much. So many kids, they haven't had any trouble finding students, any trouble finding teachers that love Jesus, which was such a struggle when we started the school. And it was just such confirmation to us that it has always been God's thing, and like, it, the the success of the school is never on us, even though we face like battling those thoughts a lot. Um, and so, yeah, we've just been amazed by what God has done. And when I got to go back, I swear, like the spiritual darkness and heavy, like I was walking down the streets and I was like, this feels different. Like, I feel like the Lord has victory here and that he has broken these like dark strongholds that have been there for so long. And it was incredible. Like, I just felt lighter. And, like, Betty and Tito, they're the only two that are still there from our original team. AU and Lali moved away. And then we did. Um, but they're just working. Like, they've literally given their entire life to these people. And, it like, the Lord has blessed this school and is using it to, to like, bring people to know him in this dark place. And um, so, yeah, we're, we wanted to just share the testimony of the school and these stories. And um, after church, we're going to have a table out there. There's sponsorship cards where you can pick a student and sponsor them. Um, we will have the details out there after church. We sponsor a kid that I taught in Puerto, and it's been so cool. We've watched her grow up, and um, this makes lower-income families be able to afford, like, good quality Christian education for their students. So, yeah, and now Brett's going to share something that he wants to share. Well, the Lord told him to share. Yeah, I'll try to be quick because I know Andy's got his message and everything. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to share something that I feel like the Lord really taught me through the season in Mexico in Hukila. Something that um, not only applies to being a missionary, but just life in general. And I came across this book while I was in Mexico. It was called With. And the idea of this book was that there are, it was about four or five different ways that typically we relate to God. Um, and first one was that we relate to God and like we are under him. And this is the idea of like being under God. So we're under his rule. We're under his demand and his rules. And it's a very heavy way to relate and live under with God. Um, and so this is one, under God. And then there is over God, which is, you know, you think of someone who is maybe not a believer and they just, they don't really have a regard for God and they're kind of above his, him. Next is from God. And this is a very transactional way to relate to God. Um, you know, if, if I do something, then I'll get something in return from him. If, you know, if I pray for this, God will give me that. And it's exhausting because we don't always get what we want. And that's not how God works. And last, and then the last functional one, which was one that I fell into, and this is what I was experiencing in Mexico, was living for God. Um, and I grew up in a, in a, 
like a tradition, a faith tradition where it was always talked about, what are we going to do for God? Like, we're going to go on mission for him. We're going to preach the gospel for him. Um, but it gets exhausting when you're living your whole life trying to please him. And it's only about what you're doing for him. And the last and kind of the author, his point was the right way to relate to God is with God. We should be with him, not under, not over, not from or for, but we should relate with him. And there'll be times in your life where, yes, you get things from God. And there'll be times where, yes, you do things for God. Um, but it, it's this reality of being with him and relationship with him. Jesus walked with God and he was with God. And there's a story, this quick verse uh, in Genesis, this guy named Enoch. And it says, Enoch walked with God and then he was not because God took him. And it's just this idea that like he was with God. And not only should we be with him, but God wants to be with him, with us. Like the whole story of the Bible can be summed up in God trying to get as close as he can to us. In the, in the garden, we're with God and then we mess up. And then the whole story, God is getting closer and closer. He has the tabernacle where he's with his people. He has the temple where he's dwelling with his people. Then he sends Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. And after Jesus lives his life, he dies, he raises again. And what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. And that's where we're at right now. God is trying to be as close as he can to us and with us. And one day we'll be in that new heaven, that new earth with him once again. And to close, I wanted to share... Um, something. The reason how this relates too is because when I was in Mexico, the biggest thing I struggled with, especially in the beginning, was this feeling of this insecurity of inadequacy, of not feeling useful. Um, because I got to Mexico, I couldn't speak Spanish. Like I got there, and like the one thing I came to do, I couldn't do. Like I'm like, what? Like why am I even here? Like how am I being used? Like and living in that mindset of for God messed me up because I couldn't do anything for him. Literally could not do anything for him. And I reached out to this missionary friend who was a missionary in Africa at the time. And he, I swear he's like, he's a prophet. And every word he says is amazing. And I'm just going to read what he said after I shared those feelings of inadequacy and not feeling useful. He said, there are some days which seem like it's full of purpose and other days it's more of stillness. Something we are still learning is about living from a place of being versus doing. The biggest thing that was hard hitting for us was realizing that our life was more about beginnings, in-betweens, waitings. That the kingdom is more like a seed growing in the ground. A tree reaching higher and rooting deeper in the forest. More about being faithful, not useful. Again, these are all things that we are still learning. Our circumstances are such that there is an overwhelming need and painful reality of the human condition. For example, yesterday I was with a two-week-old baby who didn't have milk to drink and was having dirty water mixed with sugar from the grandmother. Even in a place of overwhelming need, we keep being reminded that we are powerless to fix the finality but being empty. And from that emptiness has been this need for grace that's freed us from living in a self-righteous complex with pride disguises benevolence. But instead, where God meets us in everyone, like the Samaritan story, we are the ones who get to see him on the road, on the streets where we live, 
in the churches we worship, in the neighbors and strangers we meet. Please know I'm not saying any of this at you, but saying it to myself first and sharing how God has been meeting me in the emptiness and silence. Life is found from rest and being is the beginning of becoming. And I love this message I heard from Jason Upton where he shares the verse, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Because be is the beginning of believing, of becoming, of belonging, of beloved, of beauty. That's a truth we keep reminding ourselves. And I pray that that encourages you too. And so I just wanted to share that. Like our lives, it's not about what we do. Like there's nothing you can do for God. There's no mission you can do at all. But it is about being in relationship with him, walking with him. It's about being faithful and not useful. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. You cannot be useful enough for God. He just wants you to be with him and be faithful. So that's all I got, Andy. It's your turn. Sorry, man. Good job, you guys. Good job. It's so good, you guys. Um, I want to show you guys a slide. I'm going to get. I'm going to take you to um, seminary. This is going to be uh, uh, your entire seminary career in one tweet. But I but I stumbled across it this week. This is from Pastor Derek Vreeland. He teaches. Uh, he's a teaching pastor at. Brian Zahn's church, but I love this. I just had to share it with you guys. Christian theology 101, God is love. Christian worship 101, love God. Christian spirituality 101, love your neighbor as yourself. Christian community, love one another. Christian ethics, love your enemies. Isn't that good? That's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty simple. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to do, but it's, it's simple, right? Um, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to go long this morning. I know you guys need to get to lunch pretty soon, but I mean, after a spiritual meal like that, Brett and Annie, I don't know if they need much more, but here we are. Um, I, today, the, my message is called Living Peacefully, and I <clears throat> was praying, and, and I needed some peace this week, and, I, and why I needed peace was because of all of the tumult that's going on in the world right now. You know, some seasons are harder than others. And when we find ourselves in a, in a, a season that's particularly difficult, we need to be reminded of how to be. And so this is going to be more of a pastoral message today. It's, it's uh, maybe um, not talking about grandiose spiritual principles, but maybe a boots-on-the-ground approach to being a human being who is a follower of Jesus in this particular age in which you live. So that's the, that's the place I'm coming from this morning. Um, and I would like us this morning, like we all have political opinions. We all got opinions about the world. We got, we got the way we look at the world, interpret the world. But just for the next 15 minutes, I would like us to set that aside and see if we can't ascertain from the words of Jesus and Paul how we should be. Are you with me? Let's do this. Uh, if you got your Bibles or your iPhones, I'm going to, I'm going to start in Colossians, the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 this morning, starting at verse 12. Um, and I think we have it on the slide, so here we go. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, 
you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive one another. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And here's my underlined line right here. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. If you ever wanted, wanted to know what you were called to, your calling is to live in peace. All right? And always be thankful. So I really, honestly, you know, sometimes you can read these more simple passages in the text. And, you know, like all of scripture, you can kind of chalk it up to poetry or you can just be bored by it and move on. But the truth is these words, this wisdom can actually transform your life and it can transform the world that you inhabit. All right. And I actually believe that this is a a now word for us. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. So I guess the question then is, how do we do that? How do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen because you read that verse, all right? We have to choose to turn away from other things that want to rule in our hearts as well. I mean, I know that you know this, but there are forces in the world that are attempting to rule your hearts. Yeah, you know that's true, right? So if, if that's the case, how can Christ's peace actually have dominion over us? I mean, it's like Bob Dylan says, you got to serve somebody, right? I mean, and the thing about whoever you serve, they're going to have dominion over you, right? So I'd rather have the Lord have dominion over me so that his peace can rule in my heart in the middle of a world where there is definitely a lack of peace, So how do we get there? How can we clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience if it's franticness and fear and rage and the desire to control others is what is ruling our hearts? You can't have the peace of God ruling in your heart if you have frantic rage ruling in your heart. So here are some actual ways that we can become people who are full of Christ's peace. All right. If you got, if you're taking notes, you can write this down because this is real good and it's super practical. All right. The first thing we can do We can consume the wisdom of Jesus more than we consume Fox News or CNN. What you give your attention to is who you're being discipled by. What you give your attention to is who you are being discipled by. 
But the thing about Christians, followers of Jesus, is that we live on every word that proceeds from God's mouth, not the words which come from the talking heads on our TV screens. That's actually a way that you can stand or walk differently than the culture that you inhabit. So here's another way. We consume the wisdom of Jesus more than we do the words of any politician. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the one that we serve. Jesus is the one we are listening to. Amen? You know, it's not that Christians don't get involved with politics. It's just that on the hierarchy of priorities that you are listening to, you have to be diligent in this age to make sure that the politicians and the talking news heads don't have the top priority. So here's another way we can become people who are full of God's peace. We can actively say no to rage and fear and we can say yes to the virtues of God. I would say in the last four or five years, one thing that I have noticed within the church is that Christians have traded away their godly inheritance, which is the virtues, the goodness of God for the means of the world. We've been tricked because sometimes politics is actually more effective than the ways of God in getting things done. There are power dynamics in the world that you can join yourself to that actually move quicker and faster in getting where you determine that you should go or the world should go. But, th but that is actually different than being a faithful Christian. Let's take a look at the, another passage. This is First Theth Thessalonians. Easy for me to say. Thess Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. This is so interesting. It's a very powerful and potent text. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. When I was a kid growing up in church, going to youth group, going to summer camp, going to the passion conferences, not one time did I ever hear anybody tell me, make it your aim to live a quiet life. Here's what I heard over and over and over. The destiny of nations is in your hands. You have a great destiny on your life. Now, if a million people hear that message and there's only like a dozen stages available, how is that going to work out? I mean, the Bible is such a gift to us because it actually relieves us. It actually lets us off the hook of all the false fake idols that people have been putting before us that we have to live unto. And it gives us simple things to do like make it your aim to live a quiet life. Wow, that, that, that peace of God that wants to rule in our hearts, man, 
Peace and quiet. You ever hear those words connected? Peace and quiet. Like There's something about living a quiet life that allows the peace of God to rule in you. If you let the franticness of the world dictate your heart, you will find yourself out of the, the quiet life. But it goes on. Minding your own business and working with your hands. Just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend on others. So I'd like to say this. I'd like to offer this up to you. That as American Christians. It is very difficult for us to apply Paul's direction to live a quiet life. Because so much of what our culture promotes and loves is loud and provocative. Actually, you can gain influence, a lot of influence, by getting louder and more provocative. Do you know who knows this? Politicians know this. That's why they speak in jargon and sound bites. They just turn up the volume if they want to gain traction. That's the opposite of how Christians are supposed to be living in the world. You don't become a celebrity or a politician by making it your goal to live a quiet life. But the thing is this, there is, there's a real power in this quiet life way of being. It is actually an extension, a practical extension of the Jesus-shaped life. You know, there was a form to the way Jesus walked, the way he acted, what he believed, what he did, the way he responded to people in different circumstances. There was a form to it. And the call that you and I have is to become conformed to his form. This is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as the Holy Spirit guides and leads us. As we allow him to guide and lead us, he is conforming us into his image. And that image has an actual practical way of being in the world. What is the Jesus-shaped life? Well, it's the life that doesn't fight fire with fire. It's the life that doesn't fight power with power. Or it it doesn't use control against control. It doesn't join mobs. It doesn't join angry crowds. It carries the light of truth and grace within itself. And in its quiet tenderness, it becomes a witness to the world that you inhabit, that the kingdom of God is here. I stumbled across a Henry Nouwen quote this week that just absolutely wrecked me. Um, You know, just all of the protests happening this week, you know, around the the Supreme Court Roe versus Wade um, case. And uh, I mean... I'm, I'm reaching out to the Lord right now in my life because I don't want to shy away 
from any of these hard topics. I don't want to act like hard things don't exist. I don't want to act like hard decisions um, don't need to be made. But I, I, I want to be shaped. I want to become faithful and I want to be shaped by the Holy Spirit in the way that Jesus would have me walk. So I've been thinking about all this stuff this week and, and I come across this Henry Nouwen quote. While I was asking myself, how, how can Christians be a people who are carrying, carrying mercy into this world? He said this, solitude or, or another word for that would be a quiet life or, or long moments of quietness in your life. Solitude molds self-righteous people into gentle, caring, forgiving persons who are so deeply convinced of their own great sinfulness and so fully aware of God's even greater mercy that their life itself becomes a ministry. Have you, have you ever been around like a truly humble pe- person? Like, I don't know. I, there's an authority. There's a gravitas on a person who's not screaming their opinions at the top of their lungs. Or, I don't know. There's something special about a person who's not dunking on people that are less smart than they are. And I think that a lot of us have been discipled by the culture war that's happening within society. So we've gotten really good at debating. We've gotten really good at dunking on people or roasting people. And, and we have a deficiency of true humility and grace. I mean, there are courses that you can take to become a great apologist for the Christian faith. I mean, some people should do that, maybe. Maybe there are, there are legitimate callings for people to do that. But for most of us, there's a quiet life where solitude is involved that is molding us out of our, our self-righteousness and into a person who's being formed by the grace and mercy that we have so freely been given. We don't often hear cases being made for the practice of solitude, but practicing solitude can lead us to the gift of a quiet life, a life that is free from franticness and rage. Do you know what it, do you know what it means to become a person who isn't constantly frantic over everything that's going on in the world? It's, it's not that you don't care anymore. It's not that you're not grieved over the things that are going on. But what happens is, as you begin to let a quiet life overtake you, what you're really learning to do is trust God with your life. I mean, we, we do give lip service to that often, but there's a practical part 
to walking daily with the Lord and trusting him in all of these really difficult things. I think a lot of the tumultuousness that we see in society is happening because people are actually afraid. And they're afraid because they're not trusting God. They don't think that he can work things out, so they're taking things in their own hands. You know, listen, I'm for good public policy. I want good public policy. But public policy is not my God. Public policy is not your God. There are going to be times and seasons when you have to live under a public policy that you don't like. And you have to be able to do that well. You're trusting God that the power of mercy is able to heal people. Because you can't heal people in a raging world with your rage. You can only do it with your peace. I would also add that just because you practice solitude, just because you are learning to be conformed into the image of Christ and you're walking gently and tenderly, it doesn't mean that you never take action. I'm not saying that. There are times when our conscience is leading us to take action, but how one takes action matters. Jesus was very active and his ministry disrupted things everywhere he went. But I believe that there was a power associated with Jesus because his actions were gentle. They were imbued with tenderness and mercy and grace. Even when he was confronting people, there was embedded in his confrontation a love for people. And that's what we need as well. We need the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts because whatever is living in our hearts is the thing that will inform the way we act. What is ever taking the most space in your heart is the thing that will inform your behavior in the world. So don't let rage inform your action. Let the peace of Christ lead you. And I love this because we're not talking about becoming an ambivalent, distant, uncaring people. We're actually readying ourselves to be more closely in proximity to where the heat is. To where the stuff is going on. You know, Christians have this unique ability. I mean, because of the power of God that dwells on the inside of you, you have this very unique ability to carry the world's sadness within you and imbue the atmosphere with joy everywhere that you go. We, we are a people of joy, but walking with joy isn't denying that tough things are happening. 
It's actually the thing that empowers you to walk through difficult situations. It's the peace of Christ dwelling richly in our hearts that allows us to be present in the world and to help carry and heal the heartbreak of the world. And that, my friends, is the end of my three pages of notes. I told you it was going to be short this morning. Why don't we stand together? I would like to uh, invite ministry team folks up. Get ready to pray for people. Um, Brandy McMillan was sharing in our volunteers meeting this morning uh, just the different things that we value. And we, we believe... We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's one of the persons of the Trinity. We believe that he's active. We believe that he moves among us now. We believe that he's present to heal and to guide and to comfort. Um, and, And we actually believe that as we pray for one another, things change. They don't always change instantly or the way that we think that we should, they should, but we, we definitely believe that prayer is, is the, the thing that God gave us to change, well, a lot of things. So maybe this morning you're grieving. I know a lot of you are grieving at the death of, of Larry. And what that means for his family. I know a lot of you are grieving about what happened in upstate New York yesterday. I know a lot of you are just walking through other difficulties in your life. And so I would like to invite anybody that needs prayer to come up for prayer this morning. I'm going to close out though. And then we'll be dismissed. Hmm. Hopelessness can't get on us, dear Lord. Hopelessness cannot get on us. And we're clinging to you right now in this time, in this space, in this moment, in this season. And we're crying out for you, Lord. We're crying out for you to move again, move in our midst move in our church, move in our communities. Lord, we ask you for an increase of activity of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you for a breakout of your radical peace in this city and in our country. Lord, we ask you for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill each and every one of us in this room today. Lord, that as we go into our week, that we would be boldly, carrying your love and mercy into the world. Lord, we ask you to shape us with your peace. We ask that your peace would rule and reign in our hearts. We ask for your wisdom to overtake us, Lord, so that we would know what to do in the world that we're walking through. Lord, we pray that you would bless our city, that you would bless our homes, that you would bless our schools. Lord, we, we pray for protection. 
Lord, we come against any antichrist white supremacist plots that would try to wreak havoc again in this city or in any city in America. And we, we, we cast those plots down in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we pray your blessing on our brothers and sisters in the black community today, Lord. Lord, we grieve with them today. We're so sorry, Lord. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out and what the devil meant for evil, God, that you would turn into a great revival in our land. Lord, we ask that you would begin with us. We ask that you would begin with us, Lord. Lord, this week, wherever we walk, let us be vessels of your peace and ministers of your gospel. Lord, ministers of your gospel, calling lost sons and daughters to you so that they will know that they're already totally loved by you and totally beloved. And we pray all this together in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Give somebody a handshake, a high five, a hug, a $20 bill. Take somebody out to lunch. We'll see y'all next week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.